My name is Andrew McGowan. I'm a musician and athlete who geeks out on fashion, art, and great food. I spent time working with elite performers, repairing instruments for major symphony musicians, training for marathons, and designing wardrobes from everyone from freshman college students to big city lawyers. Trequartista is the Italian word for playmaker and is used to describe a particularly creative role on the soccer pitch, typically behind the central striker. And as the musical Trequartista, I aim to kickstart conversations about topics and areas that I think are underrated, underdiscussed, or particularly important to a sustainable high-octane life. This is the Musical Trek Artista, the podcast. Good morning, everyone. Sustainability is underrated. And this episode is going to be a really interesting bridge between the old form of the podcast and what I'd like to be the new form of the podcast because it both explores an underrated quality and yet also explores some sustainable living and problematic things that are caught up in the new year, new me hype that is sold to us. And it's really important that we talk about it in those terms because in the vast majority of cases, that's what it is. It's presented in a fashion that seems attainable but is insustainable and extraordinarily problematic. And we're going to go through why and how some of the um, ethics things behind this, the cost to you personally and some better influence uh, influences and resources and um at the end we'll kind of talk about a little bit of how to figure out what's a load of crap and what isn't so in addressing this new year new me problem i don't think it's bad to have a moment where you decide like I'm going to change. It's really powerful. But the problem is, is that so much of the time that we don't understand what the parameters of that actually is. And so because of that, I think it's extraordinarily unethical for businesses to attempt to capitalize on this sense of new purpose. I think it comes two times a year for some folks. There's the January New Year New Me, and there's the August New Year New Me. And the August New Year New Me usually affects people in, that are do things with school rather than other areas of life, but it still happens. And the way I've measured this is based on influx at the gym. The two busiest time of the year are New Year's, New Year, New Me, I'm going to get fit, it's going to be awesome, and August. Going back to school or school year starting, I want to be somebody that is appealing um, for folks in college. It's an excuse to meet folks. It's an excuse to um, get visible because college is a chance for you to have more unsupervised access to whichever kind of person you're attracted to. And so in a lot of respects, it's for people who are posturing. And yeah, I mean, in, in a lot of cases, it's, it's about like trying to be a more perfect version of yourself or like a healthier version of yourself. But I find that a lot of people go to just posture because um, if you, from a functional exercise standpoint, if you look at a lot of the exercises people do at the gym, um, (laughs) the pedagogy, quite frankly, is pretty awful. (laughs) And so it seems... To me, at least, that, I mean, yeah, you could make the case that, like, well, maybe they just don't have great um, lifting pedagogy and they're doing the best they can. 
I'm sure they are. But it seems like posturing to me because, um, especially over the long term, there's usually not a lot of change in what folks are doing at the gym. You run into those bodybuilders every once in a while who are, like, really putting work in. You're just like, oh, dang. But, like, I don't really ever see people doing, like, farmer carries at the gym because it's, like, the least glamorous exercise ever. And the funny thing is, is when you do the really non-glamorous exercises, you get more looks because people are like, I've never seen that before. It looks really weird. Why are they doing that? Um, So from a posturing standpoint, it would actually behoove you to get better lifting pedagogy. But that's neither here nor there. The problem is, is that there are companies who come along and they use these points of the year and these feelings that people tend to develop with the changing of the seasons and this renewed sense of purpose in order to exploit you for money. And, I mean, there's companies like, uh, I mean, obviously, uh, V-Shred is notorious on the internet for doing things like that and also selling, like, um, hack supplements and things like that. Um, I recently learned about a whole feud in, like, the um, fitness influencer world with V-Shred because, like, uh, they just, uh, like, all of these fitness influencers are talking about, like, how terrible they are. And there's, like, a documentary on YouTube that's, like, uh, this is a terrible company, here's why. And it's, like, 30 minutes. It is gnarly. Uh, But so, basically, um, or even even if you want to look at some place like Planet Fitness, I mean, these giant gyms that have these really, like, predatory contracts that have all of these different qualifiers for how they can charge you if you want to terminate your membership and and stuff like that. And, yeah, they'll advertise, like, oh, it's only $10 a month, but, like, what do you wind up paying in the long term? And it's really more about, like, them getting into volume and, like, trying to get you into a point where you're actually forgetting about paying for this membership rather than like creating a sustainable environment for you to get fit. And the irony is that like some of the best fitness and health pedagogy is on YouTube for free, which you'd never guess. <laughs> um, and if you have access to just like a regular neighborhood gym, uh, you can actually get extraordinarily healthy. You don't even act need access to uh, a neighborhood gym. If you have access to running shoes and um, like a kettlebell, you can get extraordinarily fit. And then after that, all you have to do is pay attention to, um, a lot of your nutrition. We're going to get into that in just a minute. Um, but again, uh, we've touched on this a little bit. So we have this ethical issue of trying to entrap new, uh, lifters or new fitness people harnessing the sense of purpose to make money. Um, knowing that the product that they're selling you is unsustainable. And you see this a lot with uh, these cleanse diets. And um, it's really important to understand the um, anthropologic biology uh, that's going on here. And so basically... It's really important to note that your body runs by interpreting stimuli. What does that mean? It means that your before it reaches your conscious brain, your amygdala, your lizard brain, interprets all of the signals that are going on around you at all times. It's the thing that gives you bad vibes. It's the things that makes you get good vibes, pick up on pheromones, all of that stuff. And then your conscious brain receives all of these signals after you've gotten all of your feelings. And if you're really, really measured and you're really, really good at dealing with your emotions, you can kind of bat those aside and swim through everything and be able to stay focused in the moment. And this is why meditation is so powerful because it helps you uh, get present in a way that gets you comfortable swimming through that semi-consciousness. Uh, meditation has all other kinds of benefits, but this is that's a huge one. Um, and you can do a lot of other kind of emotional conditioning for that. This isn't really the episode for that. Get Emotional Intelligence 2.0. It's a, a fantastic book um, if you want to know more about that. But the point is, is your body's picking up on all of these vibes all the time. And uh, the conditions you live your life in 
coach your body into the patterns of existence that uh, you dwell in. What does that mean? It means that your body, whether you consciously are sustained this way or not, is heavily susceptible to extreme patterns. How do we break that down? Well, it means that the best thing you can do for yourself is develop a routine. And this is why um, your circadian rhythm in particular is so important. Um, there is um, a TIFO football podcast episode that I loved. It came out in the summer of 2021 where they interviewed one of the sports scientists at Wolverhampton Wanderers Football Club. And they talked about the importance of a regular bedtime and ideally a regular wake-up time um or no switch that reverse those regular wake-up time ideally a regular bedtime and the idea is if you have extraordinary rigidity in those two things your body can prioritize um, resting during that time. And so, especially if you have like a little before bed routine and a little wake up routine that you do every day, what you can coach your body into is you basically train your amygdala to understand, oh, we're going to go to bed. And then going to bed is easier. Falling asleep is easier. Staying asleep is easier. And your body is able to develop a way to know subconsciously and involuntarily that it's rest time we're gonna rest and we're going to have the best rest possible and when you wake up we're awake we need to be conscious it's ready for our day we're gonna get productive we're gonna get useful and ideally because you'll have optimal rest your waking time will be dramatically more improved the same is true for our eating and most folks don't address it that way. But it actually takes energy for your body to break down food. It has to do work. And so this is kind of the gimmick with uh, the intermittent fast. Is this idea of you must give your body adequate time to rest from breaking down food. Which you do. Does it have to be an intermittent fast? No. What it needs to be is as regular and as not varied as possible. The best thing you can do for your nutrition is, aside from cutting out as much processed food as possible, is eat at almost the same time every day. Because you can coach your body into understanding, oh, time to break down food. And then it gets more efficient at that. And then there's the obvious overeating, uh, not overeating problem and all that kind of stuff. Um, but as long as like you're eating nutrient-dense foods that satiate you, make you feel good, that are non-processed, you can eat stuff like bread and it's not going to hurt you. The problem with all of these fad diets is they disrupt that. Because what they tell you is, Oh, you can uh, drink apple cider vinegar mixed with maple syrup and mustard for all four meals that you're going to eat um, for this week and a half, and you'll lose all of this weight. Well, what's happening is your body is rampantly dehydrating, and it's burning all of this excess fat, yes, but the signal that you're sending it is food is scarce. And what that creates is, is a situation, because remember, we're evolved from prehistoric humans. There was a time when human civilization was hunter-gatherer cultures, and food would be scarce often. And so, in that time, we'd be pursuing to predators and, or pursuing to our prey and trying to um, have some kind of meal for our tribe. And tribes were much smaller. And then we would eat a lot, probably, 
and then probably not eat for a while, especially in the very distant past. Obviously, that changes the closer we get to more agrarian cultures and the agricultural revolution, but our body is still operating, our amygdalas still operate in that pattern, even though that's not the case anymore. Our culture doesn't work that way anymore. High-fat, high-carb foods don't exist in nature. Anywhere. They require human processing, which is why our minds crave them. Because, especially in a culture that is so exhausted, like ours is, because we're chronically overworked and chronically under... Uh, recreated, and a lot of us are under-rested, the message that sends to our brain is, you are pursuant to prey all of the time. You need to consume as many calories as possible to sustain this. But most people don't live a lifestyle like they're chasing down the elk they're trying to hunt, or the lions they're trying to hunt, or the saber-toothed tigers they're trying to hunt so they can eat. Or trying to like forage all over the place to gather as much tree nuts and berries as possible so that like there is, is an idea of sustenance for their tribe. So why is this a problem for cleanse diets? It's because that food is scarce signal that you send to your amygdala actually coaches your body to put more weight on when you're finished with it. Because what the signal you've sent to your brain is, is food is scarce, which means the next time real food comes up, your body's going to store all of it for later because it knows we don't need to spend a lot of energy to create the ketones to power this body. And... We're going to go a long time without food again because you've coached it into that habit. When I say sustainability is underrated, what I'm talking about is it's so unglamorous to go do the math of the food, like all the calories and the grams of your macros to figure out exactly how much energy you're taking in and then figure out how to reduce that by about 250 calories. Shave off some grams here or there. Hit your macros. Try to, especially, and what's really insane is if you can do all of, like if you can maintain a calorie deficit while not decreasing your macros, it's extraordinarily difficult. You have to do some wacky math and really like, piece together your diet in order to make this happen but what that will allow you to do is feel like you're not dieting in order to actually lose weight or actually um, enter a cutting phase if you want to talk about it that way and this is the time to say that like weight actually isn't a great measurement of like what's going on in your body or how healthy you are obviously in some cases it is but like if you're somebody like me who's pretty fit um, I don't know that it's a great way of actually looking at things because there's a case to be made that when I was uh, primarily lifting as my form of exercise rather than having like a really dynamic lifting cardio combo or even like a pure cardio exercise, all of those three lifestyles I've done um, within the last three years um, and definitely within the last four, if not the last three, um, I was extraordinarily healthy in all of those circumstances, and I reached points where I was probably at around 160. I reached points where I was probably at about 210, and the happy medium that I found is between 175 and 190 in order to feel like a functional version of me that is able to do all of the cardio exercise I want to do and all of the lifting that I want to do sustainably and the sustainability is the big portion of this because unfortunately this is the part people don't want to hear is 
if you want to keep it, you have to earn it. And if you earn it, you realize that you have to continue earning it. And what does that mean? Well, it means that like you have to put in the time and get the pedagogy to figure out your nutrition in order to get down to where you want to be. And the, and, and a lot of times, working fixing your nutrition is enough. If you're not somebody who wants to recreate by going to the gym or like doing a serious workout – that's fine. Like the gym thing is not a requirement for you to be the healthiest version of you. And I want to be clear that the healthiest version of you doesn't mean never indulging. It's about being aware that there's a profound difference between indulging occasionally and living indulgently. And living indulgently is where you indulge in all of the things that are actually bad for you all of the time. And it's unfortunate because things that I would classify as indulgences because they're really high carb, really high fatty foods that are abhorrent for your body to process and actually um, cause a lot of inflammation are very expensive. Um, if you want to eat like 2000 calories at a time, you could probably do that and spend less than $8 at McDonald's. It's really, really doable. And so how do we proceed with this? There's so much information here. And, and it's important to note that like, if you want to reach the state of optimal health, the fastest, like doing a super sustainable nutrition plan and recreating your body at through a workout is a really great way to do that. And you don't have to go to the gym for that. You just find something that you want to do that requires you to move your body some. This is why, like, I think it's so unfortunate that there's, like, an absolutely depleted number of adult sports leagues in the U.S., like... I mean, you find them occasionally, but they're so, like, poorly organized a lot of the time, and they're not well put together. And, like, yeah, you can, like, kind of do something. Sometimes you can find, like, a group that does pick up insert sport here at some place. Um, and this is why, like, I think a lot of folks are drawn to, like, rock climbing or running or something because, like, it's a small fee that you pay either for, like, the cost of shoes in the case of running or like the membership at the rock climbing gym and you get to like go do a thing that is pretty engaging but doesn't require loads of other people to do but there's an opportunity to meet other folks when you do it i mean like if you participate in racing culture like road race culture trail race culture is awesome i mean there's nothing i've really experienced like a marathon in terms of, like, the enthusiasm and the unconditionality and the excitement that people have just to be there. There's no negative energy at all, and it's exceptional. And that's a really great environment to meet folks at. And in the grand scheme of things, I think that that's, like, again, part of the sustainability problem. It's so hard to maintain this idea of, like, this is great for me if that's something that isn't encouraging for you and some folks are really like have this absolute attenuation with this idea of like uh overcoming difficulty and struggle and that's powerful for them and it, it gives them life not a lot of people are that way and so having a community and making you feel like you're a functional human being and this is adding to your life in a, in a way where you don't have to be there by yourself is really important. And so having your recreation be a community and friend-based activity is super important for the sustainability of you doing that. And so what does what does it take to be the new you? We've talked about how 
um, the business of this violates a lot of human ethics in order to like prey on folks in order to make money. We've talked about how the fad diet thing doesn't work because it coaches your body actually into like holding on to a lot of what's going on because there really are no short-term fixes. What does it look like going forward? Well, as my mentor Karen Kubides would say, um, your new life costs you your old one. What does that mean? Well, it means that there are certain, obviously there's certain changes that you have to make, but like the price of forward progress is that there are things that you're going to have to cut out. And if there are things that fill your cup, you should probably not cut them out. But what does it look like? And how do you feel curating a healthier version of you? And if you have to cut out folks that um, sabotage your ability to be you in the best possible way to be you, that's okay. Because the people you need to be spending your time with are the people who make living the, your best life sustainably. OMG, live your best life. Um, but actually experiencing your optimal experience, as Mihai Sheik sent Mihai would say, experiencing the flow, you have to, if there are people in your life that prevent that from happening, those people probably need to leave. Or you need to be more comfortable creating boundaries in order to make it so you can keep those people in your life, but they're not taking away from your ability to take the best care of yourself. And you decide what taking the best care of yourself looks like. But toxic personalities will take that away. They will draw that energy away from you. And so figuring out what it looks like for you and what your healthy experience is like in order to curate and compartmentalize your life so that you are sustained, your cup is full, and if you have extra, you can give that to other people, that is the cost. That's what it means to, like, that your new life costs you your old one. And in some cases... Yeah, that means you need to curate a different friend group. And that's unfortunate, and it's hard, and it's sad, and it's devastating, and it's hurtful, and it sucks. But that's the price of new year, new me. In a way that is truly sustainable. In as much as, like, if... On the nutrition side, if you, and I, I cannot stress this enough, if all you did was just cut out processed food, like, don't even go for like, oh, I eat paleo or whatever, or oh, I eat keto or whatever, and honestly, there's some serious issues with keto that we can talk about later, but that's the biggest problem. I, there are some people pretty close to me that are pretty hardcore on the keto diet, and the problem is, is they didn't decide like, oh, we're going to eat like keto but in a way where it's like um like we have uh meat that we get from our butcher and then the carbs we eat are like rice and the quality of fats that we're eating are like olive oil and like free-range butter and cheese no they decided to go with like we just buy whatever we would normally buy and get the carb-free version which means they were loading their body with processed food and that causes a lot of problems because like your body doesn't know what to do with that. A lot of those chemicals don't occur in nature. If, And this is the importance and why I stress so much that like really if, if you just do non-processed food, you'll get to a much, much better place really, really quickly because at the very least your body can look at that and go, oh, we know what to do with this. And 
what I mean by that is like that's not saying like you can never have French fries ever. It means if you want to have French fries, buy a bag of potatoes, cut them up at home, toss them in some olive oil, crack some salt and pepper on them, and throw them in the oven, and then eat them. And then you'll realize like, oh. This is the best possible french fry I could have. And the stuff I was buying beforehand was absolute crap. And you know where all of those ingredients came from. It's four things. It's potato, olive oil, salt, and pepper. And your body knows what to do with all of those things because they're real compounds. Step number two is, okay, maybe not every day. Maybe once or twice a week. But that's fine. Once or twice a week like that is fine. And then and then we can talk. And once you get to once or twice a week, then maybe the portion size cuts back a little bit. But again, I'm not saying like, oh, I get two French fries. No, nah, I'm saying like maybe two potatoes worth is fine, which is actually a lot of French fries. When you actually make them yourself and sit down and actually like cut them up and make them. And then you also get that personal agency of being able to look at yourself and say, wow, I made this today. And not only I made this today, but I made this today and it was good. And if you're somebody who's like, well, Andrew, I don't know how to make French fries. There's this lovely place called the Internet where I'm pretty sure like you could find Gordon Ramsay telling you how to make like potato wedges if you really wanted to. And if not Gordon Ramsay, you're definitely somebody else who knows exactly what they're doing and we'll coach you on a way if you can read we'll like coach you through a way to something that is actually something you can be proud of and I'm not saying that you shouldn't be proud of a lot of the other things you're doing I'm sure there are great things that are going on in your life but like if you're really uncomfortable in the kitchen and can read the only thing stopping you from becoming a better cook is your own initiative Unless you don't have access to a kitchen. That's obviously, like, a, a very, very different situation. But, like, if you have access to a kitchen and have some initiative and can read, there's nothing stopping you from being great in the kitchen except time and repetition. And just putting in a couple, some hours in order to get more comfortable with the things that you want to do there. And that makes the sustainability extraordinarily easy is that come to Jesus moment where you realize oh all I have to do is commit some time and cultivate a way where this is extraordinarily doable because it is and then the new year new me thing isn't so much a problem anymore it's appreciating that not having to make these drastic super intense short-term changes is actually extraordinarily doable and the path to like a nutritional flexibility and comfortability and sustainability is actually extraordinarily approachable because it's not like you have to give up milk in the grand scheme of things i think it's actually bad to give up carbs should you go lower carb? Yeah. But again, it's a processed carb thing. If you make sourdough bread at home, you're going to feel great. Those are the kinds of things you should be eating because everything about it is something that your body can actively process. Sourdough bread's four ingredients, flour, water, salt, and yeast. get some free-range butter, or put some, like, olive oil and Parmesan cheese on that, like, that's an extraordinarily great way to do, like, the fat-carb indulgence in a way that, like, is not going to dramatically upset your body. And again, when I say non-processed, I mean in the broad sense of it. Like, yeah, you can have ice cream once in a while, the problem is getting to once in a while for a lot of people because they're so coached into being able to indulge a ton all the time. And this is the eat your feelings problem. 
is that a lot of people probably need to have seen a therapist or be actively seeing a therapist and they don't have an outlet for that. Or they have a lot of emotional trouble and they don't have anybody to talk to, whether it's a therapist or not. Having a friend group is extraordinarily important, especially one where you can actively voice some of the issues that you're having and they'll be supportive of you. That's a big piece of sustainability. It's the emotional sustainability. Because when you have that outlet and you feel socially recreated, it's easy to feel physically recreated. And again, this ties back to you can have both of those in the same thing, especially if you can find like some kind of pickup sports thing to go to. You can do both of those things. And it's really, really powerful to get to that point because then you don't have to worry about like, do I move my body? Because at some point you might realize like, oh, I mean, playing basketball two days a week is really great. But like if I ran a little bit in my downtime, maybe I could get a little better at the cardio part of basketball. And then that incentivizes that. And, oh, maybe if I ate a little better, I could get it better, like, physically, and then that would help me be better at basketball. And then you get better at basketball, and then you have more fun at basketball, and people have a even better time with you being at basketball because not only are you getting better at it, but, like, everything about your health is improving, and so you're there better there physically. And the interesting thing is, like, that's really the new year, new me thing that everybody's chasing because that holistic, like, rounded, recreated, healthy person is the one who has the best living outcomes. Uh, Brene Brown talks about uh, this in her book, Braving the Wilderness, that living solitarily or living with... Um, a lot of loneliness is the greatest indicator of dying early, like way higher than smoking or eating really poorly. The thing is, is not only if you recreate yourself socially, but then improve all of like the physicality and nutritional side of your life, everything improves rampantly. Because you feel better and you can be the most amazing version of yourself, which is so powerful and so underrated. And it isn't really that far away. There's so much about life that I really find is just like if you can learn how to draw a healthy boundary and then just figure out how to implement those boundaries in your life with things that cause you stress or inflame your body or send negative signals to your amygdala. You can cultivate a healthy lifestyle really effectively and without a lot of stress. And again, in a lot of cases... It's not huge changes. It's making a sustainable small change. You don't need to go on a cleanse of mustard, maple syrup, and apple cider vinegar. You need to supplement some micronutrients and maybe instead of Lucky Charms, eat some steel cut oats with milk and blueberries. And what's interesting is the more time you spend in the non-processed food area the more you realize that there's so much greatness and so much power there and that the quality of that food is actually like there's so much depth of flavor and the only reason that it feels like there isn't is because there's so much like over the top like like if i wanted to graph the flavor index like Steel-cut oats, blueberries, and milk, and cinnamon, and vanilla might be like an 85 on the flavor scale. But when Lucky Charms is a 1,000, that doesn't, it doesn't seem like there's much there. And it's only when you've gotten away from all of the heavy processed stuff that you realize like just how much is available in real food. And that's what helps you 
gain an appreciation for, like, I mean, obviously everybody gets, like, half of what's cool about going to a fancy restaurant is the ambiance of it, and obviously, like, those chefs are exceptional, and the food that they make is really good. It's on another level when you've encultured your body into eating great non-processed food all the time. And that's really, really powerful. So, where do we find good influences and better resources? Because it's great for me to say, like, oh, just don't eat processed food. And, like, all that stuff. Well, there's two ways we can go about this. The first is, um, influences that talk about sustainability and don't pitch the fitness nutrition thing as necessarily being easy. And there's a difference between saying it's easy and saying it's accessible. And I want to clarify that really quick. If, for example, you see something that's like, do these two things and you'll get to 10% body fat in two and a half weeks, it's bullshit. It's not that easy. That being said, if somebody said to you like, oh, getting to a really healthy place, especially for your body, isn't all that hard. All you have to do is cut out all processed food and maintain a balanced diet. That's not easy, but it is pretty accessible because what you've curated there is a situation where it's like, okay, if you can um, keep your macronutrients pretty in balance, well, and we probably should talk about that a little bit. I'll get to that in a second. But then like, oh, just make sure everything is like a naturally occurring food. Like, okay, yeah, that's not super difficult to, I mean, you need a lot of persistence and a lot of discipline to stay on top of that. And in, in some cases, like, that's some that's a way to build discipline and build consistency. It's like, just look at the ingredients. And if it has, like, sunflower seed oil, like, okay, that's a pretty processed oil. Maybe we don't get that. Maybe we buy the, like, oven-roasted salted almonds that are just almonds and salt. But, like, that takes two seconds to look at. Um, as far as the macronutrient split thing goes... Um, the most important thing is making sure you get enough protein in your diet. A lot of people don't really do that. And so, like, in terms of looking at a well-balanced diet sustainably, if your micronutrients are taken care of, which is, like, um, the iodine that your body needs and the vitamin D your body needs and all that kind of stuff, you can knock out a lot of that with um, an omega-3 supplement and a multivitamin supplement and then... Uh, 4,000 to 5,000 IU of vitamin D every day is really underrated for a lot of folks, especially if you spend a lot of time inside. Those are really important. Zinc is usually a good one too because it helps your body process nutrients. But so if you're getting all of those um, and you get enough protein, which should be about 30% of the mass of food that you consume, um, we're not talking about calories right now. And this is why you have to pay attention to these two numbers. So like for um, calories is the amount of energy you consume and um, your macros are based on like the physical mass of it. So if you want to think about like the weight of the food you consume, and those are two different numbers that we have to pay attention to differently. And this is why you want to find, um, if you want to, like if specifically your goal is to lose weight, what you want to do is find things that fill your macros and are low in calories. Chicken is a fantastic example. Um, a skinless chicken breast, I think is 200 calories, but is like 29 grams of protein, which uh, for a lot of folks is a lot of protein. Um, you can get even leaner in terms of the protein that you consume and find a great way to get some omega, uh, more omega fats in your diet if, if you want to boost some of those grams through fish, um, which, are, which is also an amazing source of, of protein. Um, but it's pretty low on the carb side of stuff. And um, protein powder is a really great way to make sure you're hitting your protein macros also. And that's why protein powder is... Uh, 
a diet supplement rather than a diet like a diet replacement. There's some people who've decided like they get on this cleanse diet that's sold to them of like, oh, just drink protein powder for every meal and your body will drop weight. And it's like, well, okay, you're clocking in one macronutrient and like it's unsustainable to do that. And Henry Cavill, I think, is a fantastic influence in terms of talking about, like, what he puts himself through in order to, like, look the way he does and operate the way he does in films. He has so many videos on YouTube about this. Like, if you really want to understand, like, what some of these folks go through, like, he's the person who's talking about it the best. Because... He, there's this scene in The Witcher where he is, like, shirtless for this thing, and, like, he talks about how he didn't drink water or barely drank water for three days in order to look the way he did in that scene. It's, it's unsustainable. You can't not drink water for three days. If you don't drink water for four days, you will die. And he's out there talking like, yeah, I had a liter and a half of water the first day. I had three quarters of a liter of water the second day. And I had no water the third day. Which is like, basically what he's saying is, I only had enough water to be alive. In order to look the way I did for that scene. That's ridiculous. And so, in terms of the, going back to the ethics side of stuff especially with Hollywood, we're being sold this idea of like, it's possible to look like this all of the time. And then because people have a desire to get there, even though it's impossible, all of these fitness companies and nutrition companies are creating these supposed products that will get you there, these services that will get you there, knowing that that's impossible. Especially in the time frame they're selling it to you in. And they're profiting off this ability to exploit that mentality knowing that it's never going to happen because the pedagogy that they're providing is so abhorrently terrible. It's not built for you to succeed. And so that easy versus accessible is the difference a lot of times between what's great pedagogy and what's bad pedagogy. What's a good resource for you to follow and what's a bad resource for you to follow. Because a lot of things that are very difficult are very accessible. What you need to cultivate is the discipline and the time to pursue them. And what's funny is that like it seems like you have to give up a lot to get there. And to an extent, you do. But in the if you're willing to play the long game, the sustainability game, the underrated game, is that in, in the long term, it pays dividends for you. And it feels better. And it helps you to cultivate a kind of life that you enjoy living. And the cost is... In the long term, the cost is feeling bad and feeling shitty. You don't have to go through all of that. All you have to do is decide that living sustainably is something that's important to you. And then make if, if you're truly committed to that, figure out how to separate yourself from the things that make that more difficult. And surround yourself with the people that are truly supportive of that lifestyle. And you'll find that living sustainably and living happily is actually extraordinarily approachable. A couple other things that I find really helpful. Um, if you want to go through a nutrient calculator to figure out what you need as far as like calories and macros every day that can be really helpful and you don't have to nail things exactly if you're pretty approximate on stuff it'll average out over the long term but the biggest thing for me is figuring out like highest quality food and quality food means uh non-processed and ideally like um like humanely farm raised um if you're really frustrated about like um or overwhelmed in the early stages of like, well, what does that mean I can eat? And what does that mean I can cook? Um, 
do some research online. There's loads of recipes to do. Um, I mean, anything. And honestly, if, if you just make sure that the ingredients are as non-processed as possible, again, that alone is a great way to get a huge start on like just um, feeling better and honestly, probably dropping some weight because like if just eating non-processed will cut a lot of what's um, the inflammation out of your diet. And it's important to note that like the reason that we need to eat in a balanced fashion and why doing the non-processed thing is actually really help like will help you drop weight at at, at the very least is because um if you want to lower your body mass the thing you need to show your body is like okay um we're going to eat things that you know what to do with and then um, whatever we don't need, you can just get rid of. And so what your body does is they look at, oh, we ate all these things that we know what to do with. Here's what we don't need. Let's get rid of it. And if you're eating enough and recreating some, it gets really efficient at doing that. I'm going to get a little more detailed really fast. So let's say, for example... Uh, and well, and this is also the importance of a slight calorie deficit too, is like you want to tell your body like, hey, we're eating enough that you don't have to worry about whether food is a scarcity and when, but like we're going to eat a shade less. And then what your body says is like, oh, well, we have all of this extra food that we stored for later. Let's use some of that. And then it just falls right off. It's a gradual process to do it sustainably and to get to a point where you look the way that you might hope. It might take a long time. It might take eight months. Plain and simple. It might take longer than eight months. But like to do things sustainably, that's the kind of commitment you're making. If, if you wanted to run a marathon this year, that's doable if running a 5k isn't a big deal for you right now like if you can run a 5k right now then saying by the end of the year i want to run a marathon is actually extraordinarily attainable step one is making sure you can get to a point where like running six 5ks a week isn't a big deal but if you can run one 5k you're on a, a pretty good pace to doing that and if you can run six 5ks in a week then you're fit enough to start marathon training. At six 5Ks a week, that's about week one of a 16-week marathon train, which is only about four months. And so if you have 12 months to do that, if you can run a 5K right now, that's extraordinarily attainable. If you can't run a 5K right now, well, then we just have to put the 5K thing on it. And getting to 5K fitness is also probably, if you want to do it sustainably, is about 16 weeks. So, could you go couch to, fi couch to marathon in a year? Um, you'd have to have a lot of great conditioning and stretching pedagogy in order to do it. If you started at like, the optimal stretching stage like if you if you had the mentality and the know-how that a lot of sustainable marathon runners have you could absolutely do it in a year accounting for the fact that you're probably have to having to cultivate a lot of that and figure out a lot of that stretching pedagogy two years is probably a better timeline but again in two years that's extraordinarily doable uh in the first year a half marathon by the end of the year if you started in January, is probably in the cards. Especially if you spend time learning how to decompress and really figure out how to take care of your body. And you're really pursuant to a non-processed diet and figuring out how to stretch your body really well so you can get optimal rest. We've talked about a lot of changes in this episode. And there, oh, um, 
really quick before I start to wrap things up, the another resource I wanted to point y'all to is um, there's a, a book by Gordon Ramsay called Healthy, Lean, and Fit, and it's literally just like healthy, non-processed recipes that are super, super flavorful and are from all over the place and make you look like an absolute savage in the kitchen. I bought it, or I got it for Christmas, and I can't recommend it enough. And he has pages in it, pages and pages in it about like what healthy eating looks like and how you don't have to compromise on the flavor of things and how like you can still have variety. And um, if you're you're trying to lose body fat, the recipes that you need for that and the best methodology to go through with that, even in, like, and he doesn't. Um, really talk about like the nutrient split or the calorie deficit all that much. I don't really think he needs to, but like that know-how and having this book as like a series of recipes and tools and every page has like the nutrition facts for what um, he's having you make, like whatever the recipe is, which is really, really helpful in terms of like helping you plan this kind of stuff. It's such a great resource and there's loads more stuff like that online. And so the really great thing about this is that doing things sustainably is incredibly accessible. But a lot of people aren't comfortable with this idea of it costing them something to get that. But all it has to cost you is the life that you've decided you don't want anymore. And if you can make that change and make that commitment everything about this is incredibly doable sticking to it is difficult cultivating discipline is difficult but it's so rewarding and every day just gets easier than the last and broadly speaking i think one of the biggest problems with the new year new me thing is that people decide they're going to make drastic changes in an ill-informed fashion rather than creating an idea of something that is incredibly doable and incredibly fulfilling. For example, if I said I wanted to read a book a month this year, that's an incredibly fulfilling and sustainable goal. Because it can be as simple as, like, I'm going to read an hour every day. Not a huge commitment. Something to stick to. If I really wanted to, I could even, like, say I'm going to read an hour five days a week. Still probably get through 12 books in a year. In a way that's fulfilling. And I'm not even limiting myself to what I'm reading. Which means that, in the grand scheme of things... I can read whatever I want. I can make this as fulfilling as possible. Could I draw some lines as to what qualifies as reading? Absolutely. Um, maybe I don't want audiobooks to count. But maybe I do because maybe it's an opportunity for me to do two things at once. If I decide I'm going to run a half marathon this year and I also want to read more, I can do both of those things at one time, which is great. And then I only have to set aside, I mean, in the latter stages, you're going to need to set aside like two to two and a half hours for the half marathon thing. But for training days, if you're only running seven miles, you're setting one hour aside, hour and a half if you include stretching, but stretching before bed. So like, honestly, that's just a great habit to get into because too many people... Um, are actually, I mean, this is a, a talk for another time, but I mean, if everybody had their New Year's resolution be, I'm going to stretch for a half hour every night before bed, it, they'd probably live a much happier and more sustainable and less painful life because um, a lot of folks um, have significant lower spine damage and hip atrophy as a result of sitting for as much time as they do and not 
activating their muscles and decompressing their lower back and their hips every day. But um, aside from that, like if you took an hour a day, you could put your run in and get a, a chunk, a good chunk of reading done. And if you do the audiobook thing, um, that usually goes a little faster than like what like actual reading in your head or reading out loud does. So you could probably get through more books in a year if you really wanted to. And again, the cost is, are you disciplined for, are you going to create the time to become disciplined in doing this? And it takes 60 days to make a sustainable habit. And so, yeah, it's going to be really hard for 60 days until it's a part of your life and then it isn't. And then it's extraordinarily sustainable because it's become something that you do. And that's not something that's easy for uh, folks to profit off of. And what you'll find is then when it comes time for you to actually invest money into things, um, you get a lot out of them. Because um, spending a little extra to have food that helps you feel great and feel like you're really sustaining yourself and is super, super flavorful and you don't have to feel terrible after you eat it, is great. Having that sense of accomplishment and that sense of physical prowess and or power when you run six miles for the first time. Yes, it's exhausting, but it's that overcoming of struggle that's so powerful. And the journey to the incredibility of that experience. And that's what the marathon was for me last year. And it's weird. And it's magical. And it's so strange. But it's possible to do these things sustainably. And the cost is weird. Your new life costs you your old one. But in the grand scheme of things, although your life changes, all of the great things about your old life can stay. Maybe they change a little bit. Like, if you, for example, if you have a group of friends and your main activity on Friday is... um. You have like a potluck dinner at somebody's house and you get high and you watch a bum bunch of dumb movies. That can stay. Maybe the quality of the food you make changes. But that can stay. Because social recreation is still really important. And in the grand scheme of things, like there's not a lot of science that says that like recreational marijuana every once in a while is bad for you. In fact, the opposite is probably true um, based on a lot of the scientific data that we're getting. And that helps you cultivate an emotionally dense life. An emotionally developed life. A life that is happy and extraordinary and sustainable. Because of what you've cultivated with yourself and with other people. I think that's the new year, new me we should strive for. And again, it is accessible. It's not easy. And you won't always succeed. But that's why it's practicing a healthy lifestyle in order to attain a healthy lifestyle. Because there's no learning without failure. The question is, are you willing to put in the time to seek out the best sources of information and figure out, like, it's going to take some trial and error along the way, but will you stay pursuant to the path?
because the beauty isn't arriving somewhere. It's the unfolding and development of yourself along the way. If I was to give one piece of advice to people who said they wanted to make a serious image change in their body, the thing I would tell them is, there is no point of arrival. If you're going to earn the level of fitness that means looking the way that you want, at whatever polarity that is, even if it's just like, I want to look like somebody who's moderately active. It's like the process to get there and owning that process and maintaining that process is what keeps you there. There's no point of arrival where suddenly you get to stop caring about the quality of food you put in your body and the physical recreation that you get in order to maintain that level of fitness. And not only can you do it, it is possible to do that and not give up a life that is fulfilling and loving. It's extraordinarily sustainable. And if you cultivate helpful influences in your life, that process becomes symbiotic. Those people in your life help fuel your drive to live sustainably and nutritionally. And that healthy lifestyle helps you be the best version of yourself when you're with those folks. And it spirals together into a wonderful uh, self-fulfilling cycle. It is about the process, not about the destination. And the process is a long climb. But when you reach the top of Mount Kilimanjaro and you look out across the amazing expanse and behold the wonders of the universe and to an extent, the insignificance of humanity helps you to appreciate all of the work that you did to get there. And chasing a sustainable lifestyle is the same way. Is it easy to put one foot in front of the other for ages and ages? Eight months, let's say? No. Is it accessible? If you decide you're going to put one foot in front of the other every day for eight months, it absolutely is. Sustainability is underrated. And figuring out that being the best version of yourself sustainably is not only something that you have access to, but is a lifestyle that you can cultivate is underrated and it's very accessible but it's not easy I hope this was helpful for you thanks so much we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the musical trick artista the podcast you can find us online at mcgowanmusic.com or listen on your favorite podcast platform you can also visit us at andrew mcgowan on youtube or music mcgowan on instagram